Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're continuing on with Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. At the end of the last episode, we introduced the topic of compilation in Ruby, learning how the yet another Ruby virtual machine, the YARV, was introduced from Ruby 1.9. Today, we're going to finish off chapter two, which looks at compilation in more detail. How did you find the reading, Saron? Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what is the right way of reading this book because in the beginning it felt very manageable and doable considering the way that we usually read this read these books, right? So usually we read just for one hour, and what I'll do is I'll read it on my computer screen and I'll you know highlight and make notes just on on my laptop, uh, and then we talk about it, and it's generally fine. But I don't feel like that's good enough anymore. Like I feel like so I actually bought the physical book and the ebook version. It like came in a bundle, so I got both of them. And for this reading, I actually took out the physical book and I treated it like I would like a, a college class, you know, back in the day. So I had like my textbook out, I had my highlighter, I had three colored pens, I had my notebook, I was taking notes and drawing mm-hmm. diagrams and kind of going back and forth. And so I feel like that's what I need mm-hmm. to do to really understand things because in this and not just this reading, but this whole second chapter for me, it felt like way more information that was kind of condensed and compressed mm-hmm. more than I would have liked it to. And so I felt like I had to put in more work to unpack it on my own in order for me to move on. So it kind of like, it, it was just a lot. It was a lot and it was more than I was anticipating. What about for you? Yes. Yeah, so I've actually read it, I think, three or four times over, which is more than I normally do when yeah. I do a reading for the podcast. And it got to the point where I just said to myself, it's okay that you don't get everything to the same level that you got in chapter one or in other books like Mm. um, 99 Bottles, because this is at a different level. But as long as you can at each point explain the concept in a higher level way, so you understand what the local table is or what it means to um, compile something in general, and you can sort of explain the steps in a high level way, I'm happy with that. So... Yeah, I think there are some people who may understand more from the book and get more about more from the book. But I think for me to be able to move on, um, I just need to get to that level of confidence that, OK, I can explain these concepts in a high level way. I understand more about them. I don't really understand exactly what the syntax is in the local table, but I understand what the local table is trying to do it is where I sort of came out of it with. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm trying to figure out as well is how much of it do I actually need to understand? Because that was kind of my strategy in the beginning was like, I'm going to get I'm going to try to get 80 percent of it and move on. But because for me, anyway, everything built on everything previously and we started going more and more into detail, I was like, oh, crap, I didn't I didn't really have a good enough understanding of you know the tokenization part to really appreciate this next thing. So it it forced me to go back and reread some of the earlier chapters. And that's that's kind of like what I'm trying to figure out is how much much of it do I really need to understand to keep going? And am I going to get to a point where because I didn't fully understand all the details, the next thing is going to be harder than it should be because it's based on and it's assuming that I have a really solid understanding of the thing we just talked about. So finding like that balance of not kind of over obsessing about each detail and figuring out how much do I really need to know to keep moving forward? That's the thing I need to figure out. Cool. So shall we look at this week's reading in more detail? Sure. 
So we're starting with the section called How Ruby Compiles a Simple Script. And so just as a refresher, right before this, we talked about how we have the code you write and how we need to interpret it and use the code the Ruby core team writes. So we talked about how we start at Ruby, then we do tokenization and we end up with tokens, then we do parsing, we end up with AST nodes, then we compile and then we have the YARV instructions, and then we go through a step called uh, interpreting, and then on the other side of that we have C and then we have machine language. So now what we're looking at is how does Ruby actually compile a simple script? And the simple script we are talking about is 2 plus 2 equals 4, which I think sounds pretty simple. So on figure 2-3, we see something that's called the AST Ruby produces after parsing the code. And so right at the top, we have the actual code puts 2 plus 2, and then we see the AST that we get. So we start with node scope, and under that it says table, colon, and then, so this is the other thing that's kind of confusing to me, is when I'm reading this, I'm not sure what notation I'm looking at. Like, I'm not, like, so for example, we have table, colon, and I want to say, like, array mm -hmm. with the word none. Yeah. But in AST land, is that an array, or is that just a bracket? Is, like, yeah, I'm not I really sure what that is, and I think those moments kind of, like, throw me off a little bit. Yes, I see what you mean. I think for the purposes of us like reading it, it's useful to refer to concepts that we know, like array. But I take your point of what what notation is this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's also kind of um, when I was rereading some of the earlier chapters, you know, some things stood out to me more than they did the first time we read it. And one of the things that stood out to me was there were a number of parts where it was like, this is the Ruby part. And this part is like your code versus the Ruby code. And I was like, wait a minute, isn't it all Ruby code? <laughs> like, like what, at what part is it Ruby Ruby and like my code and then the Ruby core? Yeah, there, mm. There's kind of, it was, it's just a really weird world. And so at this point, like, I'm not sure what world we're in. But anyways, we have node scope and we have table colon and then we have an array or brackets uh, and inside it says none and then we have args colon and then an array and inside of that it says none so that's our first little um what would you call like that that rectangle that's our first it's parsed node. bit the node that's our first node okay <laughs> great that is our first node i think so yeah 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 no i think <laughs> you're right yeah and then right underneath that, we have something called node f call. And here we have method ID, colon, and then we have puts. So that puts is the first thing that directly references the script we're working with, because the, the script we're working with is puts 2 plus 2. And then right under the node f call, we have a different node called node call. And here we have another method ID, colon, plus. And then here we have two children. So we have two nodes coming off of that node call. The one on the left uh, is node lit. And we have the number two. And that arrow that connects the node call with that node lit says receiver. And on the other side, the second child is also a node lit and it has the number two in it. But instead of this one being labeled as a receiver, this one is labeled as args. So to sum it up, we have node scope under that node f call, under that node call, and then the two children node lit two and then node lit two. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that node tree or that AST abstract syntax tree and see how that applies to the YARV. So the first thing that Pat wants us to note is that 
the Yav is a stack-oriented virtual machine. So this means that as it goes through the tree, it's going to maintain a stack of values, push things onto the stack, leave things on it, and, and pop things off. So what's going to happen is, so it can do one of three things. It's either going to push values onto its stack, operate on the values that they find on the stack, or leave a result on the stack. So if we take um, the tree that Saron just went through, we've got the 2 plus 2 AST. So it's going to iterate, Ruby will iterate over that tree recursively from the top down. And it's going to convert each of those nodes, so like node, node scope, node fcall, into YAV instructions. So we start with node scope. And so this tells the Ruby compiler that we're starting um, a new scope, a new section of Ruby code. And in this case, it's actually the whole program because the, the program is just puts two plus two. And since we've got um, empty values for both table and args, we, we, there are no instructions to go onto the YAV stack. And so we move to the next node of the tree. And this is the node F call. So if we look at figure 2.5, this is the one that has method ID is puts. And we have a gray box next to this segment of the AST, which has got the title YAV instructions. And now, whereas before we had nothing in there, we've now got put self. So all one word put self. And what this means is that the first YAV instruction is indicating that the function is going to use the current value of self as the receiver. So just to go one step back, when Ruby compiles a function call for YAV, it does it in three steps. The first step is pushing the receiver onto the stack, then it pushes the arguments onto the stack, and then it pushes um, the method or function, or it calls the method or function rather. And so in this case, when we have the method ID puts, the, the first thing we're gonna do is the receiver, which is self, because it's the, um, it's essentially the an instance of the object class, which is the overall, it's like the top of the hierarchy whenever a Ruby program starts up. Yes. Okay, so now that we have our put self, next we need to create instructions to push the arguments for that puts. And the arguments for puts is our 2 plus 2. Um, and the weird part about that is 2 plus 2 is itself an expression, and it in and of itself is another method call. So we have to figure out how to do that. And even though it seems simple, um, because 2 plus 2 is a pretty simple expression, we can assume that we might have more complex Ruby expressions in the future. So this is a very simplified example. So if we look back at figure 2.3 to kind of figure out what that AST tree looks like, we have node call method ID plus, and then we have on the left the receiver, and then on the right the args. So if we map that to the way that we talked about uh, how Ruby compiles function calls for YARV, what it does is it pushes the receiver onto the stack first, then it pushes the argument, then it creates a method call YARV instruction. So even though the next node is the node call method method ID in the YARF instructions, what we see first is put object to, which is the receiver. Then we have put object to again, because that's the argument. And then we have send uh, with this complicated thing. I don't think we're seeing the full, um, the full result of this, but it starts with call info mid colon plus comma arg c one comma dot dot dot. So it, it seems like it's a long piece of instruction there. And that whole section represents this idea of adding this plus. So according to 
this book, it talks about how when Ruby executes that final uh, Yarvin structure we talked about, the send with all the call info, mid, plus, arg, c1, all that stuff, what it does is it adds 2 plus 2, getting those arguments from the stack, and then leaving the result, which is 4, as a new value on top of the stack. But where does that actually happen? Like, is that is that when we do the interpret part? Like, I, I didn't I didn't understand where I would see four. I don't think we, we don't get to that yet. So what happens is we build up, we, we go through the AST, we build up this long list of instructions, and then there's some point where the, the compiler runs. So, okay. So that bit eventually, though, when it gets to the bit where it says put object two, put object two, and then send the plus, when the compiler's running, those three things are going to be changed to like an object of four but where like when we haven't got there yet do we get to it that's what i understand we we're just um i don't think we get to this i'm not sure if we get i can't remember but it's definitely something that pat's gonna cover um because we're just at the point of building up the instructions we haven't got to the point where the yav executes the instructions so is the part Mm -hmm. where that um, that line that says, like, you know, send and, you know, calculate this and make it a four. Is that what happens during the interpretation step when we go from Yarv instructions to C? Or is that still in the compiling step? Does that make sense? I guess it, I guess it's like, so, it's like, even on the next page, it says, Ruby further modifies these Yarv instructions before executing them as part of an optimized step. Is... Is the execution of the Yarv instructions the part where we're compiling, or is the compiling the creation of the Yarv instructions? Okay, so the the compiling is the bit where Ruby takes the AST that's been produced by the tokenizing and the parsing and generates a series mm-hmm. of bytecode instructions. So that is the compilation stage. It's not which the are the Yarv instructions. Right, and then chapter three says how Ruby executes your code. So, 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 for example, I've just skipped ahead to the beginning of chapter three. It says, so we've seen how Ruby compiler creates your Yarv instructions, but how does Yarv run them? So that's the next bit. Okay, so compilation is just the 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 translation into the Yarv instructions. Okay, that's what I thought. So then going back to that whole executes the send, um, fetching those arguments in the stack, and leaves the result for, is that jumping ahead and talking about when we run this code and interpret it, that's what will happen? Or is yes. the leaving the result for... Okay, so that's that's talking about compilation. Um, that's talking about the interpretation step. Yes, the, the execution step. I think okay. maybe we're talking about the same thing, but right. yes. Yeah, well, the execution of the code is the interpret. That's when we interpret it from Yarv to C. So that's what it's talking about. Okay. Yes, that's what I understand. Yeah, so that part confused me because I'm like, I don't see a four. <laughs> I don't see a four yeah, anywhere a four. in these I don't see a four. You tell me there's a four. I haven't seen <laughs> I looked at the rest of the pages. I don't see a four. Okay, okay, got it. So we're talking about future stuff. Yeah, and I think to me, like, that's the part um, with reading this chapter that kind of always confused me is I, I'm not sure what world I'm in. You know, because at times it feels like we step back to the parsing part or we'll even step back all the way to the tokenization. And then in this example, we kind of like went a little forward into the um, the execution of the code and without explicitly saying like, now we're in, you know, sea land. Like, I, I'm not always sure where I am and that, you know, I think that causes more confusion than it should. Um, so 
Yeah. And I think part of that is also and, and Pat tells us this many times in the book where he says, you know, I'm I'm showing these as individual instructions to make it easier, but they all kind of happen at once. And so I understand that it's it can be almost like lying a little bit to kind of pretend they're in different worlds. But in my mind, I just need them to be in separate worlds for now so I can figure out what the hell's going on. You know, I know. So then we talk about how Ruby further modifies these Yarv instructions before executing them um, to make it a little bit faster. So initially we have the Yarv instructions reading put self, put object to, put object to, and then we have two sends. We have the send call info mid plus rxc blah, 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 that we just talked about will eventually execute to just return the value for. And then we have our final send, which is which reads send call info mid puts argc blah blah blah, which is the um, the sending of the puts message, which is kind of where this whole thing started with puts two plus two, and so in our optimized version, instead of it calling send call info mid plus blah blah blah, it says just opt plus, and that's because for really simple commonly used things like plus, like greater than, size, less than, those kinds of things, there are little shorthands for it just to make it faster. And then we have a similar optimization for that last send, where originally it said send, call, info, mid, mid puts, argc, blah, blah, blah. And here it says opt, send, simple, call, info, mid puts, argc, blah, blah, blah. So, so for me, opt send simple with the call info mid puts rxc blah blah doesn't look simpler. Um, but it says that the opt send simple is a lot faster because none of the arguments that we use need any special treatment. So because of that, it's faster for Ruby to deal with than having just send. So that was a simple one. That in and of itself was a bit tricky. So shall we move on to compiling a cool to a block? Let's do it. So we had, you know, the lovely two plus two before. And this time we're moving on to a simple script, although it's a bit less simple. And that reads 10 dot times do n puts n end. So we've got a basic block. And the first thing that we're going to do in figure 2.9 is look at what the abstract syntax tree looks like for this. So we start with a node scope just like before. And we have table colon and then that array or square brackets with none. And then we have args, colon, and the same um, single array with none in. And then we go down to the next node, which says node iter, which I think stands for iteration. And that branches off onto another abstract syntax tree. So I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But if we follow um, the node iteration downwards, we have a node call, which has method ID times so that's the 10 dot times and then we have the receiver which is uh, a node lit and 10 so that's similar to when we had um, the two plus before now if we go back to node iter and we look at the second branch that kicks off another tree and that tree is the tree for the block portion so for the do n puts n and so that starts with node scope and this time rather than the um, array of none table has colon and then n and then args has colon and then one and so we're going to later on look at that portion a bit in more detail but first we start with um building the yav instructions for um the main portion of the tree so we start with node scope and again with the table none and args none we have nothing to add on to the yav instructions so then we go down onto node iter 
And at this point, there is still no YARV instructions generated. But like I said, we have two arrows, one that goes to node call, which represents the 10 dot times call, and then the other one to another inner block. So Ruby first goes down compiling the nodes corresponding to 10 dot times. So now, so we're at the node that says node call method ID times. And in the YARV instructions, we have put object 10, because that's the receiver. And then we have a send, and we've got one of those funky things again with call info, and that represents the sending of the times method. And so that was looking at figure 2.12. However, there's something different about this call info than from the two plus two case before. So this time it ends in block colon block in compiled. And what this does is indicate that the method call also has a block argument. And so it's at this point that Ruby continues by compiling that in a block. Um, so we go back to the second branch of node iter and now in figure 2.13, we see the full AST for the, for the block. So we have node scope, uh, table colon n, args colon one. We then have a node f call. So that's uh, method ID colon puts. And then we have a node diva and that says variable ID colon N. And so next week, we're going to dig into more detail as to how we break down the AST for a block. But for now, Pat wants us to see in figure 2.14 that um, each separate node scope that we have maps to a separate set of YARV instructions, so a different YARV stack. And so he shows that we've got the node scope um, with table colon none, args colon none, going to one set of YARV instructions, the one that has the put object 10 and the send of the times. And then we have underneath that, the node scope that says table n and args one, and we have a different YARV instruction stack, which has put self, get local to, and then op send simple. And I think we're gonna look next week in more detail into what the table n and args one means. Sounds good. So this week, I think I'm going to give the reading a five. And it's not, it's because I've read it three or four times now, and there were still things I wasn't completely clear on. Um, and like I said, I just had to get to the point where I was like, okay, you, make sure you understand the high level concepts. And again, I think Pat ultimately does well at doing this, but it's about seeing the wood for the trees with all the other stuff. Um, and I struggle with that a bit this week. What about you? Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. I was also going to give it a five for basically the same reasons where there were times where I wasn't sure what world I was in and I wasn't sure. Um, I just kind of, I just wasn't sure where I was. And, you know, it's, it's this interesting thing where a lot of the the details are missing to simplify things, but it also makes me feel like, ah, would it be clearer if I had some of those details? You know, like the there's like, for example, in the um, YARV instructions, there's like call info, uh, mid puts dot dot dot. And I'm like, but what's the dot dot dot? Like, is that, you know, like maybe if I knew that part, it would be more, it'd be clearer to me. So, yeah, just finding the balance between knowing enough to move forward, but not obsessing over all the details. And maybe even in some cases, trusting that some of the details will really fall in place later on. Um, I think that was that was hard for me this week. And I, 
I definitely felt like I had to work a lot harder to get what I did understand from it. So um, yeah, I think, you know, in the future, I'm going to start like actually taking physical notes more and probably assume that I'll have to read a, read it a couple mm. times in order to really get it. And um, I think, I hope that'll make things a bit easier for me moving forward. Cool. So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio!